0: Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Mark, verses 24 to 37. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near, at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake
1: Good morning way, folks. And I mean those Angelinos that are part of our community, and also those that are tuning in outside of our community. We're glad you're here When I say good morning, uh there are many of you that don't feel like it's a good morning. Uh, there is a greater unrest than before the injustices that you wanted to be fixed haven't been fixed. Uh, There is a greater and growing divide than ever before. And I mean this in a social way, in an economic way, in a political way, in a medical way, and even up close and personal, in a familial or a, a domestic way. And you come here this morning, you want some medicine and some relief and someone to address it. And so there may be a desire give me a sermon that speaks the word of God to those things that I care about right now. Now to uh, the most cynical in in our community and outside of our community. You could say, you know what? Since the quarantine started. You've been preaching since March and things have gotten worse. Uh, Nothing's been fixed. Nothing. So what are we doing here? Where are the answers? You give me some answers. Give me something practical for the day. Give me something practical for the day. I cannot think of a better time to listen to Jesus in Mark 13. And really, it's the entire chapter, a portion of Mark 13, was read for us this morning. But let me give you a small summary of Mark 13. Uh, Jesus and the people that are listening to him, we call them disciples, learning from him, uh, are, are walking by the temple, and Jesus says, uh, you know, one day, th- this temple's going to be destroyed. Not one of these huge stones is going to be on top of another. It's going to be raised. And... Uh, The disciples say, okay, uh, when is this going to happen? So Jesus begins to describe several types of the day of judgment. And the first one is, look, you're going to see this in your lifetime. He's talking about 70 AD, which will happen, the destruction of Jerusalem. And he talks about where the earth is going to break and the earth is going to quake and stars are going to fall and the rocks are going to split and there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and geopolitical hostility and there's going to be darkness and it's going to be very apocalyptic. And then he talks about a day of judgment at the end of all days that's coming. And it's his return. It's his second coming. And he says, you'll see the Son of Man coming in clouds with power and glory so he's talking about various types of judgment days all throughout mark 13 especially emphasizing his second coming now on the surface mark 13 is about judgment day jesus coming again and so there is a question there's a question for worn out christians worn out angelinos um, uh, jaded cynical modern angelinos and uh, the question is this okay okay I'm a little tired, but what earthly good does teaching about the second coming do for us now? Like, I get it. It's far away, second coming, but what does it do for us now? So show me, show me um, how it addresses racism and wealth disparity and injustice and political divides and social issues now. So we may not think about the second coming of Jesus very often. But the scriptures think about it all the time. In fact, you can't get away from this idea of Jesus's second coming. Uh if you just look at the if if you just look at the New Testament, okay? It's mentioned a, a little over 300 times. That's that is a, a one in 13 verses. One time every 13 verses um, somebody is going to talk about the second coming of Jesus. Uh, it's talked about a little less than money. Money is the most prevalent subject talked about in the New Testament, but the second coming is is close behind. So we know this. If the New Testament emphasizes it to such a great degree, uh, we can't be followers of Jesus without having the second coming have that insistent, persistent. Presence and reality and belief in 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 our lives. We can't be Christians without the second coming dominating a lot of our thinking. So the annoying question remains for us this morning: is yeah, thanks for that preacher, but what will the second coming do for us in the here, in the now? So I'm going to only give you three things to hang your Lakers hats on. But here it is: the second coming, the teaching of the second coming. Um, It will affect, it will touch on, it will inform and direct your private actions, your private unseen actions. That's number one. Number two, it will help you forgive all the mean people that have hurt you and are hurting others. And number three, it will give us participation and hope in all of the ugliness of the world's problems. So I'm just going to give you 3 of what the second coming does for us in the here and now. So what does this teaching of the second coming do for us? It will direct our private, our unseen actions. In verse 32 Jesus says this. He says, "But concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven know, nor the sun. Only the Father knows." So he says this in verse 33, be on guard, like keep watch, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. So if you have read, if if you're a Christian this morning and maybe even a longtime Christian and you have read the scriptures cover to cover, and I don't mean in like um, reading through the Bible in a year, that's almost too quickly, but if you have read it with some thought behind it, and I don't mean going through every passage with a commentary, I just mean with some thought, you're just—you're going to discover, or you have discovered, that there are really only two main things that we can be certain about when we're talking about Jesus' second coming. And the first one is this, it's going to happen. That's one. Two, it's impossible to figure out when it is going to happen. So you can't call it, you can't predict it, you can't possibly know. Now, every single generation of Christianity thought this. It's really close. It's going to happen in my lifetime. This is like a sport. Uh, Talking about the second coming of Jesus is like a sport for fundamental Christians. They start making diagrams and predictions. Uh, There is a Reddit thread um, entirely full of theories uh, and possibilities. They're endless for when the second coming of Jesus is going to be. And Jesus says... I don't know. Jesus says this. So if Jesus doesn't know when it's going to happen, then you or JesusFreak underscore 32 and all of Reddit doesn't know either. That's, that's what we need to take away. But let's put those two ideas together. So the first idea is he is coming back. And the second idea is we can't possibly know when he's coming back. This will inform our current private work and private actions. Uh, Let me show you just how, briefly. Uh, C.S. Lewis, yes, I know, has this essay, uh, The World's Last Night. And he has a phrase where he says, there is an irresistible light that will come to shine on all things. So in Jesus' second coming, uh, this means this. Uh, I, I'll often do things. You often do things, thinking, "Look, I want I want this certain good result to happen, this certain end." And we may cut corners, and we may fudge some of the details, and I may rationalize some of this subpar behavior with the thought of, "Look, it's for a good cause. It's for a good movement. It's for a good." outcome, so I'm going to just live with it. But if we don't know when the second coming is, it means that that irresistible light could come and shine in our works in the middle of the process. Uh, That's why Jesus says, um, uh, you need to be ready, you need to be watchful, you need to be awake. Uh, uh, Lewis has this other illustration, he says, says, if you're an 80-year-old man, Um, you do need to think about dying. You need to um, uh, prepare your will and your estate and your affairs and uh, get your uh, coffin and your tomb. Make preparations for your family. But he says this, but you you shouldn't always be thinking about dying as an 80-year-old because then you forget about living. But he says that there, there is a readiness in light of what you know is coming. So I'm going to quote Lewis uh, literally here. He says this, uh, and I'm going to read this. We cannot always be excited. He's talking about the second coming. We cannot always be excited. We can perhaps train ourselves to ask how the thing we are saying or doing will look when the irresistible light streams in upon it. So he gives another illustration about a woman who uh, has gone into a shop and she buys this this flashy, gaudy, seemingly beautiful dress in, in the artificial light of the shop floor. And then she brings it into the outside and in the fuller, greater, more intense light of the sun, uh, she is not at all impressed with it. Uh, So what does the teaching of Jesus' second coming do for us? It does do this. It does direct our personal, private actions, right? Um, The question is this. What are you pouring your life into? Is it a gaudy, flashy dress or something that will stand in the irresistible light? So that's the first thing, that Jesus' second coming or the teaching of gives to us. It directs our private unseen actions. There's a second thing. It will help you forgive all the mean people who have hurt you and are hurting others. All of us have this little tight knot of bitterness saved for all the people who did us wrong. What happens when you get done wrong? First thing, uh, you know what we do? We put a booster seat on the judgment throne, and we climb up into it, and we sit there. Why do we do that? because we think the judgment throne is unoccupied. And in a way, it is unoccupied. Think about it. Uh, Nothing has happened after you got done wrong. Nothing got corrected. Nothing happened to the mean people. And this is what we feel. No one's sitting there. And so we hop up into it in our customized booster seat and we judge. Uh, This is what we do when we judge. Number one, we know exactly what needs to happen. What comeuppance these mean people should get. We know that. We're certain of it. Number two, (laughs) we'd, we'd like to be a part of them getting it. We'd like to speed things up for them so that they arrive at what... They should get this is the truth of Jesus' second coming that's not our throne that's not your throne, and when we sit in it, you know what it does it 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 worms a deep sourness, a deep bitterness, a deep destructive spirit it makes us worse. It makes us mean. It's not our seat. Sitting in that seat will destroy us. Uh, So so the teaching of Jesus' second coming can train you. It can heal your heart from that bitterness. Um, How so? Number one, um, we know this. This is how it can train your heart and your mind. Uh, We know this. Only God can sit in judgment that is his seat number two only God knows every single variable and every single piece of information in order to sit on that seat another way of saying it we think we know people you don't I don't we don't I have this great honor as a pastor. I have this great honor to, in depth, in private, confidential settings, hear the deep history of someone's story and experience. Alongside of that, I am given this deep honor to see the weakness and the flaws of person after person after person. I see beauty of a person. Now, this is what hurts incredibly, is when a person that has shared that with me is slandered and torn down by another person. I think to myself, they don't know. They don't know the variables and the information and the deep experience and history behind, they don't know. How much more, how much more does God know deeply every single piece of information so that he can sit on that seat rightly? Number three, only God has the power to make things right. Only he has the power to restore all things. And I don't mean any disrespect to you this morning, but you don't. You don't have the power to correct. You don't have the power to make things right. In fact, um, your corrective actions are often killing folks. And they're killing you too. Um, um, you will never enact the change you want in your in-laws or leaders or coworkers. workers um, You'll never do that. In fact, your bitterness will kill you before it ever tweaks uh, the, the subject of your judging. So we can say this to God. God, you're the judge, I'm not, I'm going to forgive. I don't have the right to hand out sentences, I don't know enough, I'm just going to slide off the throne of judgment. How does the far and away seeming teaching of Jesus' second coming help us in the here and now? Well, it directs our private actions. And number two, it helps us forgive mean people who are hurting us and others. Uh, this is the one that feels culturally pertinent to us all. Number three, Jesus's, the teaching of Jesus's second coming t- uh, will give us a participation and hope in the ugliness of the world's social problems. So, talk to us, in the doctrine, the teaching of Jesus' second coming, how Jesus' second coming informs systemic racism. And to do that, let's listen to verse 32. I mean, verse 26, rather. And then they will see the Son of Man. This is Jesus talking. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Now, I think a lot of us... um, maybe due to the sentimental schlock that passed for Sunday school classes, um, we think coming through the clouds, like the clouds parting, and Jesus comes in. Uh, That's not not what the text says. It says he is bringing clouds. He's going to be in the cloud. He's going to be bringing the clouds with him. Clouds that are full of power and glory. Now, why is that important? In, in, in the beginning of Genesis, the first few chapters of Genesis, uh, we see this utopia of awesomeness. And, and why is it so awesome? So yes, the creation is perfect and good, but why is it so um, full of utopia? Um, the presence of God is there. This is what we see at the beginning of Genesis. It's immediate. It's, it's, it's right there. Um, all, all of your senses can take in this, this beauty, the power, and the glory of God himself. And nothing is jacked up. Nothing is messed up. There is a systemic rightness in Genesis. There is not systemic injustice. There is systemic rightness at the beginning chapters of Genesis. And then what happens? The presence of God gets pulled away. And the world becomes broken. Don't you see that now? is there disease oh yes i affirm that is there poverty like going without not fullness but going without is there massive disparity of poverty while there are those that eat in comfort uh yeah is there injustice uh yeah is there violence and deception and non-stop fight? Yes, yes, yes. Now, that's without the immediate full presence of God in power and glory. Now, there are several times we see in the Old Testament where where, where this presence, this immediate full senses of God reappears. And the first place we see it is in Exodus. So, um, uh, uh, Moses is leading the Israeli slaves out of a nation that has built massive civic works and monuments on their backs. Hebrew lives matter. What was it? The presence was a cloud by day, and at night it was a fiery pillar. Um, In fact, uh, uh, the Shekinah glory is called the glory cloud. The glory cloud. There's this uh, beautiful radiance, uh, because in God's presence... Uh, hate can't be there injustice can't be there Um, meanness can't be there Uh, there's stability and peace and provision and care so so, uh, in verse 26 when Jesus comes back he's saying I'm bringing the glory cloud y'all I'm bringing the glory cloud it's that end of everything that you and I are noticing right now that is jacked up, that is messed up, that is broken. And then he gives this illustration in verse 28. You can see it there. He he gives this illustration of a fig tree. It's not what happened in um, the earlier part of Mark, but it's this illustration of the fig tree. And he says, look, you know summer is near. He's talked about the glory cloud. And then he says, you know summer is near when you see the leaves start to come in. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying summer's coming he's likening it to his second coming to summer's coming the fullest life is coming the the the, the fullest blooming is coming now this is in contrast to another cultural phrase an artistic cultural phrase that we have and it's winter's coming Um, uh, if you read the George Martin books I I had to watch stopping uh, I had to watch Uh, Stop watching the series, uh, Game of Thrones. Couldn't do it. But if you read George Martin's books, um, there is an amoral, cynical, non-redemptive thrust to all of the books. Think, Think of the worst things that could possibly happen to a person. Those will still be better than what happens in George Martin's books, We've come to expect what everything is jacked up, everything is messed up, and guess what? Not only are things bad, they're going to get worse. Winter's coming. Winter's coming. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're going to live your lives with a frame that says, summer's coming. I'm going to bring the ultimate summer Sunlight after centuries upon centuries upon centuries of winter summer 's coming summer 's coming see the, the teaching of the second coming of jesus the purpose of, shows the purpose of jesus 's salvation isn 't just for a personal saving from hell, though it does that, but Jesus is saying this i 'm taking back the whole business. look the things that you hate that are in winter i 'm bringing summer summer 's coming. Anybody who longs for it, right? Anybody who longs for that future, that future, summer's coming, summer's coming, seemingly far away. Anybody who aches for that summer to come and works alongside bringing summer drinks, summer breezes, summer soil to what? To the brokenness of the world. A person like that works with hope. Right? They don't work with cynicism. Cynicism is like, uh, um, what's this little drop gonna do? It's not doing much. Or, or uh, someone with cynicism says, it's all just gonna be torn apart. It's not gonna last. It's gonna, it's gonna just, it's gonna get destroyed. All of these things happening in our country and our world. There's, no, 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 no. We work with hope because we think summer is coming and I'm working alongside that. So what is Jesus' challenge to people who listen to him? He says, hey, don't be sleepy. Like, you, you got to keep watch. You got you to wake up. D- don't be lazy on this part. Don't nap, right? This is not where we sit on our heels. The second coming is a blast of good news for people, you, me, our world that is saturated in bad news, bad news, bad news. Summer's coming. Summer's coming. Summer's coming. Whatever I do, however small, partners with that idea. Summer is coming. Look, th- this doesn't lessen the plight of black lives in the United States and elsewhere, it magnifies their plight. Whoa! What I see happening does not look like the garden. It doesn't look like utopia. Summer's coming. All right. And, and not only does it magnify the plight of Black Lives Matter, what it does is it magnifies the plight of every single thing that is wrong. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. The Muslim Uyghurs in modern day concentration camps, you know what? I want that changed too. Summer's coming. The persistent international impulse to prey upon weak nations and exploit them for their natural resources. I want that change too. Guess what? Summer's coming. Severe malnutrition and food insecurity in a country of obesity. You know what? I want that change too. Summer's coming. Our inability to take the stewardship of God's creation seriously in a sea, literally a sea of plastic. You know what? I want that change too. Summer's coming. Our innate ability to make creative war machines that kill people better, faster, and with more precision. You know what? I want that change too. Summer's coming. Corrupt, thuggish, deceptive governance on every level in our world. You know what? I want that change too. Summer's coming. Do do you see what the teaching... Of the second coming does the promise of the second coming a judgment day a real judgment day awakens us it awakens people out of comfortable bubbles we can't ignore pain we won't be untouched by the plight of the world now uh, if, if, if you're a Christian it, it, it actually is very good to have the hope of summer for yourself that's a very good and godly thing to do. But it is weird and ungodly to not have that same hope for someone else. What is this combat our laziness and our comfort? Um, we are probably in a bubble if we are not longing for summer to come we we probably don't know all the pain that's going outside of our bubble or 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 worse we know and we don't give a damn uh, the teaching of the second coming changes that that's why it happens every 13 verses in the new testament we begin to have a, a hope for the world that that the world doesn't even have for itself so uh The teaching of Jesus' second coming, it directs our private actions. It it gives you the ability to forgive mean people. And three, it enters you in to the ugliness of the world's social problems. It does do that. Now, I, I close with this. If you're a thoughtful, reasonable, logical person, you should feel... A greater problem here I'll give it to you if there is not a judgment day there is absolutely no hope for the world winter's coming but on the other side of that coin If there is a second coming and judgment day, is there any hope for me? That's the problem. Because the same force, the same passion, the same judgment and justice you want for everything out there that you hate, It's only fair, it's only fair that that same force, that same intensity, that same passion for justice and judgment also apply to you. To not think that would prove that you are living a selfish, privileged existence with little self-awareness. To to expect judgment for everyone else but not for yourself. You'd say, oh, that, that itself is... In equity. Uh, Psalm 130 tells us this. It says, uh, If if you were to keep a record of my sins, O God, who could stand before you? So that's the problem that we have. We want justice for the world, but that same justice has to apply to us. How can we want a day, a judgment day to come for something that's going to blast us with the same kind of judgment? Mark 13. It says, on a day of judgment, he's talking to his followers, he says, there's going to be a day of judgment and the sun is going to lose its light and the earth and the heavens are going to be shaken And then in Mark 15, there is a scene where there is utter darkness and the earth quaked and rocks were split. Uh, Matthew 27, describing the same scene, says the earth quaked and the earth split and there was utter darkness when what? when Jesus was on the cross and he said my God my God why have you forsaken me that looks like a judgment day it was a judgment day on Christ he will bring the ultimate summer and that ultimate summer comes by what the ultimate winter and the darkness on him That's how both of us, you, me, we can look forward to the second coming, the second judgment day. Because in the first judgment day, the judge was willing to take all of the judgment. And that is good news. That is good news for you, it's good news for me, and it's good news for the world as well. Leave it again. Let's worship God after I pray. Let's worship Him with these truths of His second coming and what it does for the here and now. Pray with me for it, Jesus. Uh, your second coming is not some irrelevant future teaching. but it informs what we do now Jesus may it direct our private unseen actions may it energize a real and deep forgiveness for the people who have hurt us And may it push us into the most broken parts of your world to bring redemption, restoration, reconciliation, reparation, life, light, and hope. We pray
0: this in your Son's name. Amen.